Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Matt. You're listening to The Standard Issue. Brought to you by the Scolium Institute, where new ideas are served fresh every day. Today's episode, briefcase clocks and pop-tart guns, historical focal points and the dangers of proximal knowledge. Now this is the second episode in a two-part series, so if you haven't already, you may need to go visit our previous episode in order to follow everything we say fully. Without further ado, let us resume this discussion. So, so far we've been talking about what constitutes as proximal knowledge. We've not actually been saying it directly each time, but whether we're talking about the argument from ignorance or talking about uh, irony, we're talking about proximal knowledge. Proximal knowledge being things that are not actually known. Now, there are, however, three kinds of knowledge. Uh... This is put forth by Michael Lacewing in his uh, paper, The Tripartite Definition of Knowledge. Uh, He defines these three types as acquaintance knowledge, ability knowledge, and propositional knowledge. So acquaintance knowledge is knowledge that is basically known. It's the idea of, I am acquainted with Lord of the Rings. I know the Lord of the Rings. I, I know the plot line. I know who Frodo is. So, right, it's a familiarity. Exactly. Now, this is different from something like ability knowledge, which is knowing how to do a specific task. Right. Like I'm an accountant. I know how to follow, you know, make journal entries and follow the generally accepted accounting principles. Um, you're a teacher. You know how to teach. You know, you're you're familiar with with the the methods and then how to execute those. Mm-hmm. And then the third type is propositional knowledge, which this is knowledge based upon reasonings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, all three of these, uh, though, there are some nice, really interesting peculiarities within propositional knowledge, but especially the other two, uh, all three of them can be succumbed to proximal knowledge. Absolutely. So with the case of um, acquaintance knowledge, the idea of source amnesia really comes into play mm-hmm. because I might say, oh, I know Lord of the Rings, but what I could just as easily start breaking down and telling you things from The Hobbit sure. or I could tell you things from The Cimmerillion. Right. Though, to be fair, those do take place in the same universe. They do, but it would still be an understandable source amnesia. Sure. Absolutely. Because that's the thing with proximal knowledge is sometimes it's not even something that outrageous. Sometimes it is something as simple as mm-hmm. getting the J.R. Tolkien books confused. Yeah. yeah or, um, yeah, I mean, or you could mix up, uh, you could even mix up, you know, cross series a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if it's a lesser, well, less well-known character or something like that from another series, you might think that they, you know, might mix them up with something like that or, or whatever that can, that can easily happen. Um, or, you know, in a situation where, uh, like, uh, for me with, you know, if we're talking about ability, like the ability to, to do something, I mean, uh, they change things all the time. You know, the, uh, the financial accounting standards board will change things. And if I, if I don't keep up on that, I could, you know, I could defer to my knowledge that isn't up to date anymore. It's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, even even though even though I didn't misremember what happened, uh, what what is correct has actually changed, and I, you know, I you know, I'm, it's still wrong. Kind of like how some people react to the Common Core shift within education, right? 
wherein there's been a lot of change in the methodology and how we teach mathematics. Right. And so a lot of times parents who try helping their children Mm -hmm. with their math problems are completely confused because they're used to a specific way. Right. And now that way they know is incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you're, uh, you'd be more of an expert on this than I am because you have your educational background, but I've done some research on it. And uh, the, the common core is really just a standard of what you're supposed to know how to do and how, what you're supposed to understand. It's not really necessarily the way that they're, am I, am I right about this? Yeah, really you're the way correct. You're teaching, um, you're teaching it. And, and the, the, so the, the thing is, uh, whenever the trick is with common core, you can understand uh, the the and they can explain to you now why you're you know why you carry a number or why you borrow a number from the you know from the other column uh, or things like that. And you actually had you had to uh, just learning things by memorization and not learning the concept behind it led to a lot of roadblocks whenever you got into more abstract math. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean that's why people dreaded algebra and calculus and stuff. And whenever you get um, if I'm wrong about any of this, just stop me and interrupt me. But you're whenever going, you get, you're doing well. Whenever you get to a point where, uh, where you know the the memorization part breaks down and you can no longer you can no longer do that, then uh, you kind of you get stuck. And uh, but whenever you the co- what the Common Core standard is designed to do is prevent that from happening because you know uh, why things are happening. You know why you take the you know that whenever you take a, a thing from the tens column. To move it over to subtract, uh, the re- reason you can do that is because a ten- one in the tens column is equal to ten in the ones column. So you can, you know, you can move it over. And if they don't explain that kind of stuff to you, or if you don't understand it, you might get stuck later on. So the Common Core standard is designed to to help you understand things on a better level. Now the third type of knowledge, propositional knowledge, is really interesting in its breakdowns, as we said before, because it can be thought of in two types of reasoning there's what's called a priori reasoning and that's deductive based uh it's very algebraic the whole idea is you know one thing is another thing uh a different thing is one thing Mm -hmm. therefore uh another or one thing is another thing right formal logic essentially a is b b is c a is c um, and now a good example of this where we can have proximal knowledge come in and kind of throw things off would be with, uh, with an a priori argument such as the following. So premise one, all dogs are four-legged mammals. Mm-hmm. Premise two, all golden retrievers are dogs. Premise three, Goldie G is a golden retriever. Resolution, Goldie G is a four-legged mammal. Mm-hmm. Based upon the a priori um, logic, that reasoning, it seems like that is a true argument. That right. this it's a valid argument yeah. anyway, whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. And so it would appear to be propositional knowledge. Mm-hmm. But let's say that Goldie G is a dog who has lost two of her legs you know the type of dog you see in one of those very sad Sarah McLaughlin commercials where they sing "Wings of an Angel" in the background, and you're just like, "Do I stay here and suffer through this? Do I call the number like I should? Right. Do I try to just prevent uh, any bad thoughts coming into me and change the station and just 
ignore that responsibility that mm-hmm. I feel like I should have. Right. I, I admit I've done the latter, even though I know <laughs> I should not have. Um, but keeping that in mind, if Goldie G has only two legs, then this throws the entire thing off because if she has only two legs, then that means she can't exist within our current definition of a dog. Right. Because our current definition of a dog is all dogs are four-legged mammals. All golden retrievers are dogs. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is proximal knowledge can kind of sneak in and create these premises in our understanding, Mm -hmm. which seem very, very solid, very um, ascertained in truth. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're not right. I mean, exactly, and and actually, the uh, the other one, the other uh, you know, the, the other thing that you have right here is actually a really good example of that. Because in our mind, you know, whenever we we have to look at our definition of what makes what makes a thing what it is, you know, what makes a person a person, what makes a dog a dog, because clearly in this case, uh, dogs being four legged mammals isn't necessarily accurate be, you know i mean in that case it's not it's that's probably the weak premise in this mm-hmm. um because and, and most people will be like well yeah if you a dog is a four-legged mammal uh you know if you ask someone that they would say of course it is but whenever but you uh you can prove that 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 might that that's maybe a weak premise with by saying that dogs are four-legged mammals all golden retrievers are dogs golden g's a golden retriever and she's only got two legs so now you know, now if she doesn't exist or or one of those premises is wrong, obviously we can, you know, get, not getting into whether or not we can really prove it exists, you know, solipsism. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we if we're going to trust our, our senses, yes, she does exist. Therefore, um, one of our premises is wrong. Mm-hmm. The other type of reasoning uh, involved with propositional knowledge is called a posteriori. I think I said that right. A posteriori. Well, it'll be in the thought catalog. <laughs> Even if it's wrong, it doesn't matter. Even if we said it wrong, it's there. So you'll be able to check it out. Anyway, a posteriori reasoning, this is based upon observation. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea of, like, I see a table in the recording studio. It's that I see this object. I recognize it as a table. That's right. a posteriori reasoning, which, again, can seem pretty convincing. And I'm not questioning the existence of this table here. But when you get into something uh, like UFO sightings, uh-huh. that's when it starts getting a little different. And this mm-hmm. is something, again, that Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about when he talks about the argument uh, from ignorance. Mm-hmm. Because if you see a strange object in the sky, you know, by definition, it is an unidentified flying object, UFO. Right. But it is not a flying saucer. But because of the social narratives that exist, mm-hmm person spots it says hey i saw a ufo and they might start saying hey i saw a flying saucer or hey i saw aliens they didn't see either of those things if they saw a flying saucer they would be able to identify it as right. a flying saucer right and by the way even if it was a flying saucer it doesn't make it an alien exactly i um, mean if it was uh i mean some type of weird weather balloon sure or uh yeah, or I mean, even you know, experimental aircraft, whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. The, the point is, like, we make a lot of assumptions uh, about stuff, and actually, uh, you know, so <laughs> Neil is, is in the the video of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, it's is really funny because he says, you know, well, we have an unidentified flying object, 
it's unidentified and we go right from unidentified to aliens from another planet who found their way to earth uh and it's it's really you know it's he says it's interesting what happens in the human brain i it's i'm inclined to agree mm-hmm um, so the, the next uh, the next idea we have is the uh, the tripartite of knowledge. Uh, let's see here. So uh, it, it's this is only going to apply to propositional knowledge. I mean, do you want to take over for here? I mean, do you know what's? Yeah, I know what this is, but I'm more than willing letting you share in some of the glory. I tend to hog most of the conversation. Oh, I'd rather you do all the you do all the defining. It's uh, you are the uh, you are the educator after all. All righty then. I'm the numbers guy. Okay, class. <laughs> So, the tripartite definition of knowledge, as we said, it only applies to propositional knowledge. And what it does is it serves as a way to to define, to separate what is true within uh, propositional knowledge and what we would call proximal knowledge. Mm -hmm. If it passes these three definitions, it is actually propositional. If it fails any one of these three, it has to pass all three, Mm -hmm. then it is proximal knowledge. Sure. So, the first definition is that the proposition must be true. And by that, it's not that you think it's true. It's that we, as an outside force, can look into that proposition, Mm -hmm. we can research it, and we can prove for a fact or within a reasonable understanding that that is true. Yeah, we can prove as as close to proving it as we can get. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you have the... uh, People make the equivocation fallacy all the time. Oh, well, gravity's a theory. True. Revolution's a theory. Gravity's a theory. But they're basically accepted as fact in the scientific community. I mean, a theory, based, all it does is is it ties together and explains, you know, it explains observations that we that we pick up. Um, and it's been tested and has not, It's though it is falsifiable, has not yet to this point been falsified. Condition number two is that you have to believe that it's true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not enough that we can prove it to be true. If you don't think it's true, it cannot count as knowledge. Right. So, I may let let's say I am someone who doesn't believe in the existence of pasta. I'm going with something really ridiculous mm-hmm. here just to get it across sure. without, you know, potentially offending any member of our audience. Right. So, I am an apostian. And so, as an apostian, I actively deny uh, the existence of pasta. Mm-hmm. But let's say, even though I, I don't think pasta exists, I claim that I know of a recipe involving pasta. Okay. With that cognitive dissonance going on, where I think this recipe, but I do not believe this pasta exists, mm-hmm. what could normally be constituted as knowledge no longer can be. Right, yeah, because if you don't think it's true, uh, if it's not a belief that you hold, it's not knowledge. Exactly. Yeah, you don't you don't know something that you don't think is true, basically. You might know other people. You might be aware of the concept. You might know other people think of it, but if you know if if I don't think that there's a table in the room, um, then I can't say I know there's a table in the room. Right, all you a tableist out of there, out, yeah. out there, we we have an eye on you. <laughs> right, exactly. This table here. Yes. <laughs> Condition number three is that the belief in that uh, proposition has to be justified. So mm-hmm. not only does it have to be true, you have to believe it to be true. You have to have a good reasoning for believing it to be true. 
Right, exactly. Um, there's actually a really good example of this in a book, and I'm going to – I'm forgetting the name of the book right now, but I'll make sure I get it into the thought catalog. Uh, it was It's about it's a collection of different philosophical ideas, and one of them talks about uh, an animal in a field. And uh, you say the animal's a goat. So there it is. There is an, uh, so you believe that it's a goat. Um, and then it turns out that it is a goat. Uh, so there's so it's been verified that it is a goat in the field. So that's your second criterion. But you thought it was a goat because of some characteristic that it had that you thought it had. Like let's say it you thought you saw its horns and you said it's a goat. But it turns out it didn't have horns. Maybe they had been cut off or something like that had happened. Um, and uh, so the thing that that made you think that it was a goat turns out that wasn't real. Therefore, you didn't really know there was a goat in the field. You thought there was a goat. There was a goat, but you didn't know it because the reason you thought it wasn't right. You know, I mean, it's what or was it? You weren't. You basically were not justified for thinking that there was a goat in the field. So even though you happened to be right, it wasn't true. Or, or sorry, you didn't know it. Which makes it become proximal knowledge. Right. It's the most interesting. Uh, uh, I've, I've been saying interesting a lot. Tonight. Sure. I mean, but, but yeah, you <laughs> it can be knowledge can be proximal, and you can still be quote unquote right. Mm-hmm. But it's. It doesn't really mean anything though, because you you didn't have a good reason for thinking that. That's um, I I get into a lot of uh, I don't want to say who, but I get into a lot of um, you know, debates with uh with with some people who uh who believe you know like some some things about the the, the we'll, we'll t- we pr- I don't know if we'll ever talk about it here, but like there's there's the the paleo diet and how that's good for you and that, you know no one it, it's good to eat like a 10,000 year old hominid instead of uh, modern human. But uh, I, there's, we get into, uh, and the, the argument that's always brought up is, well, they'll, uh, you know, they're coming up with all this, with all this research in the next 20 years, they're going to, they're going to prove I'm right. And I'm like, well, that's great, but that doesn't make you right <laughs> because you, you as of right now, the evidence is firmly against what you're saying. And that means that even though, that you're believing it for a bad reason. You're mm-hmm. not so even though even if what you're saying is true and you believe it, you're not at this point really justified in believing that. So it's not so it doesn't matter if in 20 years it turns out that turns out that you're right because you weren't justified for believing it now. Yeah, and it would be different too if then individuals engage with some type of testing which proved even if it didn't prove for a fact mm-hmm. that it was better that gave some ounce of truth which could lead credence sure um and i mean and that's i'm not you know it's not to say that that it hasn't happened i mean but you know i mean she's definitely had the uh ability to uh you know has you know definitely made other improvements but i uh you know in in health and things like that by switching to this thing but i feel like it's it's um I feel like it's mistaking the cause. Uh, she, you know, it's okay. I stop eating a bunch of junk food and crap, and I start eating. Um, you know, I start eating like you know fermented food and raw stuff and things like that. Um, I I feel like I feel like if you stop eating food that's bad for you, you're probably going to get healthier. So um, that now that doesn't that, so that doesn't really mean that. And you know, first of all, the evidence is anecdotal anyway because it's just done with a one person. Uh, but if, if you're in a, if you're in a situation where you stop doing something bad for you and you start doing something that may or may not be good for you, you might start to attribute, uh, your increases in health or, 
or, uh, you know, the better quality of life to the thing that you're doing that's good for you or that you think might be good for you instead of, uh, instead of it just being, well, I stopped poisoning my body by eating a bunch of preservative laden junk. Uh, so, I mean, you know, as another, another case of, of proximal knowledge and it may turn out, you know, we, we don't know what science is going to come up with in the next 20 years. It, I, I could be very wrong about, you know, about what's, what's, you know, what's good to eat and what's not, but I'm more justified in my belief, you know, than this person is because that that's where the evidence points right now. Mm-hmm. Would you say too it has a little bit of the uh, causation versus correlation? Absolutely, which is a perfect segue, is it not? <laughs> it is, and it was not a design segue either. Perhaps it was. They will never know. I don't know. It, it Maybe really Sundance wasn't. will write an article about us. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was a conspiracy the whole time. <laughs> they were in on it. They know Muhammad El Hassan Muhammad. We do not know who he is. Well, we do know who we he is. We know who he is. We don't know him personally. We're not familiar with him. Yeah. If that's, if that we have sense. an acquaintance knowledge, but not the knowledge of him as an acquaintance. Yeah. Wordplay. Exactly. Love it. Okay, so um, so let's go into let's go ahead and uh, and chat a little bit about correlation versus causation. Uh, one of my one of my favorite things we talked about this in one of my general psych classes. Uh, was somebody decided they were going to track, uh, they, were, uh, they, were, they were looking up sales of popsicles. And they realized that when the popsicle sales start to go up, so does the, so the rate of homicide. So <laughs> it, uh, you could say, perhaps, that uh, if, if you were going to be, if you were less educated, that popsicles cause homicide. But we all know that there's probably another uh, another cause in there like the fact that popsicles are purchased more often during the summer when it's hot outside and whenever it's hot outside people's tempers tend to run a little hotter shorter fuses a little more uh you know maybe it's more likely that that uh that people will, will make bad choices so it's a um so there's sometimes there's a a third reason or a a cause that's that's actually out there that you don't think about so Basically, what what that serves to illustrate is that is that you can't necessarily uh, you can, just because two things seem to be correlated doesn't mean that either one that they're necessarily causally linked. So let's put this in perspective with yet another historical focal point. It'll be the focal point we kind of exit out on. Okay. Um, we're going to let's focus on Josh Welsh's Pop Tart gun that this incident where we have a strong case of correlation and causation. Absolutely. So what happened in this case, it's another uh, incident wherein a school's reaction to an event is it leads to controversy amongst the general public and many people end up going online and vocalizing their anger about how things were handled it's not necessarily it didn't necessarily reach the same level of uh, public consumption mm-hmm. as ahmed muhammad and his clock right but it's still out there it's been kind of brought up again over and over again a lot of people who want to kind of use ahmed muhammad's story as mm-hmm. evidence of our society paying more attention to people of color as opposed to white people it's not a statement we are going to investigate at all because that's a whole separate rabbit hole now we right. kind of touched on it a little bit earlier but we're not going to go in that further sure absolutely but uh 
what happened is there was a seven-year-old with ADHD who was mm-hmm. eating pop uh, a Pop-Tart in class. I believe it was strawberry. Not that it really matters what flavor it is, but... Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I read that it was. I also read it was an off-brown Pop-Tart. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's accurate or not. There's so many different things out there, but... The point is, uh, they did it did specify that it was a strawberry, like that had something to do with the story. Uh, not really sure why. But what happened is he was eating this pop tart in class. He claims he's trying to shape it into a mountain, but he notices, hey, it looks like a gun, mm-hmm. and he starts saying, like, declaring this loudly to the class, and he ends up getting suspended. Right. So okay, so let's stop right there and analyze the story without any real knowledge of it with our proximal knowledge if you will um it seems like what happened uh was that was that the kid made a made a gun and the over you know basically the uh overprotective school was like oh no we can't have guns even even obviously fake ones so we're going to suspend this kid for it and i'll confess i even that you know and until i uh until i had done a little more research into it i thought that's exactly what they had done but it turns out that uh, that that is that that's really not the case. Uh, and whenever you and it's actually really, unfortunately, it's really easy to find out that that wasn't the case at all. And people are just choosing not to. But uh, so here, actually, uh, since you are the uh, the one with the educational background, you should probably step in uh, and be school's advocate. All right. I hereby speak for all the schools everywhere and all time for this moment. What often can happen within a school context is that certain children can prove to be taxing mm-hmm. on, a, on classroom management, and they can get many verbal warnings. Mm-hmm. And considering that this is a child who has ADHD, you know, he, it means he has attention defi- deficit hyperactive disorder. It means he is very energetic, and that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, he can learn just as well as anyone else. But it also means that he's going to be a little more prone to being a little more outspoken at certain Mm -hmm. times when he shouldn't be. Right. And now considering he's seven years old, it doesn't tell us necessarily if he is in a mainstream classroom. A mainstream classroom would be a classroom of other children who do not have any type of uh, IEP, which is an individualized education plan, any type Mm -hmm. of special need to uh, help ensure that she or he learns at uh, her or his best ability. Sure. But what we have is we have this kid who is in a classroom who is said to have had incidences before. Mm-hmm. And that's what's key here. It's the fact that he has this outburst in class. Mm-hmm. And what's easily can happen as a teacher, you know, you give a chance and you give another chance and you give another chance. Yeah. And eventually you have to make a stand. Because if right. you don't make a stand, then you lose credibility. Exactly, and you lose any authority you might have as a uh, as the teacher. Sure. And um, so what happened here is the correlation is that he bit the pop tart into the shape of a gun and shouted, "I have a gun." Mm-hmm. The causation, however of him having this outburst and, and resulting in him suspended is not the fact that he said he had a gun. It's the fact that he had shouted anything aloud during class. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a disruption. Um, I mean, it's the other, aside from being an accountant, I mean, my other, um, 
you know, my the other thing that I I do a lot, I am I'm also a magician. I've been doing that for about over 20 years. And um, you know, so a lot of times we deal with attention as you know, as a finite resource. I can, you know, if I if I do one thing, uh, if I want to hide something, I'll make a big gesture because a big motion will cover a small motion. So if a teacher is up there calmly trying to explain something and somebody is yelling, what do you think your attention is gonna is gonna you know float to f- uh, first or primarily? It's gonna be the kid yelling or making noise or, or whatever because that's the way our brains are programmed to work. I take advantage of that every day, uh, you know, to to do magic, but. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of it's <laughs> quite the opposite. Whenever a kid is yelling that kind of stuff in class, so it it does. Even though you know you, you can make the argument that he's you know doing whatever he's what he's free speech or whatever, it doesn't matter because he's disrupting the class and he's preventing the other students from learning. I mean, they're physically incapable because of the way their brains are working. They're being distracted. Mm-hmm. It's as it's written in Donna St. George's article, Hearing Examiner Rules Against Boy Who Chewed His Pastry Into a Gun Shape. Another weirdly titled article. <laughs> right. It's uh, long, right? Yeah. These people in their titles, I, I like a lot of the titles from our previous episodes. They're a lot more uh, pleasant to come off the tongue. Sure. But as the person who was the examiner said, um, he was convinced that had the student chewed his cereal bar into the shape of a cat and ran around the room disrupting the classroom and making meow cat sounds, the result would have been exactly the same. Yeah. And that's the important thing to keep in mind because when it comes to things like proximal knowledge, Mm -hmm. it shapes us so much. It's just like what we talked about with political solipsism, philosophical solipsism. Sure. Because boy, did you want it to be about the gun, you know? You know, I mean, you you want it to be like, I mean, I uh, I you know, and like I like I said, I I confess, I even thought that that was that was what it was about, um, and you know, as I I, I as it's a situation where people, uh, I don't know, I thought that I I thought that, and I'm sure a lot of other people did too, and whenever you get into that and you don't you don't really do your research, you know, you you end up you'll end up missing the point. All right, so did you like what you heard? Not like what you heard? Have any ideas for future uh, episodes? Uh, definitely I mean, drop us a line at uh, scoliuminstitute at gmail.com. And uh, you should definitely tweet us at uh, scolium underscore inst. Yes, uh, scolium is spelled S-C-H-O-L-I-U-M. You can also like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, just the Scolium Institute. Look forward to hearing from you and have a wonderful day or night.